Good morning, Cross Point Church. We hope you're all doing well and miss you terribly. Hello from the Taylors here in Turkey. Uh, we, like the rest of the world, are all being affected by this virus. Um, and at the same time, we're finding such a reason to give praise and glory to our Father in Heaven. Uh, I think one of the things that this virus has done for people here in Turkey is taking it from people trying to figure out how can I get my daily wants to I don't even know if I can supply my daily needs. Mm -hmm. And it's been showing us that we're finite and that we need something greater than what we can provide for ourselves. And so we, along with you guys, are seeing in this dark season, what a great opportunity to declare the word of God and let the gospel shine. And so I wanted to read for you guys the scripture you're going to be studying today, and then Monica's going to pray for us. The scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, <clears throat> Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the promises of covenant that you have made with us through Christ. Lord, we thank you for the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit within. Father, I ask, Lord Jesus, this morning that you would do this work within us. Lord, make us a people that are holy. Lord, give us an understanding of the holiness of God and the fear of the Lord. Lord, that we may find our hope. Lord, our unshakable, unwavering truth and faith in who you are. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, Cross Point, we're here on week eight of our online church gathering, and we miss you. We miss being together. We missed celebrating God's grace among us as a church family. But this morning, we're trying to provide an element of that as best as we can in this season. And I'm thankful for uh, Pastor David and Monica uh, reading the passage of our text this morning and also praying for us. And I would like to begin in praying for Fetier Community Church this morning. Uh, they're right in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, Fetier Community Church is in a city of 150,000 and they are the only gospel presence. The city has been hard hit because like Orlando, it is a tourist city. 
And like Orlando, it is shut down and over 50% of the congregation has lost their jobs. And that we do believe that God is going to stir in a powerful way through this church. And so would you join me in praying for them? God, thank you so much that there is a church in Fetier and that you are alive in Fetier. And that, Lord, your spirit is working beyond what we can ask, imagine, or think. It's working beyond what our eyes can see. You are drawing people to yourself. In this Muslim region, in this Muslim nation, but in a nation, Lord, where your light is pushing back the darkness. And I ask, God, that you would provide for this church, that you would protect this church, that you would enable this church to do the ministry that you've called her to do. That, Lord, you would provide for the members that are experiencing hardship in this time. And, God, you would cover David and Monica and their family with your love, your grace, your care. Protect them from the evil one. And, God, use them in incredible ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our series in 2 Corinthians, and one of the unmistakable truth, I would actually say the unmistakable truth that we find in this passage is that God is calling us to holiness. When Paul wrote this to the church of Corinth, he called the church to holiness as we read Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired writings we know that God is calling our church to holiness today. When I think of holiness, my mind goes to Isaiah 6, perhaps the most famous passage on holiness, where Isaiah has an encounter with a holy God. In Isaiah 6, you read these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Those words came to Isaiah when he was called. He was inaugurated into his prophetic ministry. Israel was suffering. King Uzziah had just died. They had enemies from without that they were threatened by as uh, invading armies wanted to take over their nation and enslave their people. And then you had enemies with, from within who were causing political infighting and trying to rise to the top. And then you had the people of God who were pulled left and right. And where were they to go and what were they to do? But yet God set them aside a prophet. And God gave this prophet a vision. And the vision that Isaiah saw was these six-winged creatures, seraphim, Encircling the throne, they're these angelic figures. They had two wings that covered their eyes. They had two wings that covered their feet. And with two wings, they flew. And day and night, over and over again, they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. I mean, these creatures were magnificent. They had the power of an F-16 fighter jet with a nuclear warhead but yet God had ordained and set them apart for himself. 
and then constantly and majestically praising Him. And they're doing it right now. And so when I think about holiness, I think about entering into that. And God called Isaiah to enter into that. And it didn't give him the warm and fuzzies. Isaiah entered into that and his words were, woe is me. We see it in Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, Isaiah sees himself in proper perspective with the holiness of God. That if God is perfectly holy, then we are so far from him. Ray Ortland, a pastor, comments on the passage. He says, holy, holy, holy is not just repetition. It's emphasis. It isn't one plus one plus one. It's perfection times perfection times perfection. And that's the holiness that God holds before us. And in light of that holiness... Isaiah proclaimed about the suffering Savior, the suffering servant who would die for our transgressions to bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful man. But in light of God's holiness, the people of God, the church, are called to be a holy people. Even in spite of our sin, even in spite of our shortcomings, even in spite of our failures, God has always called his people to be a holy people. So let's look at this passage together. We see it in three parts. Uh, The first part, we see that holiness is the identity of the church. The second part we see is that holiness is the heritage of the church. And then the third part we see is that holiness is God's promise for the church. So let's look at holiness as being the church's identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 6:14 Do not be unequally yoked with believers. Paul is reaching back from an Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy chapter 22 verse 10, where he says, "You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together." If you read that in the King James Version, you're going to find a different word for donkey. Uh, But what Paul is saying here is you're not to put, to pair up or to hitch together two different types of animals that are not made for the same job. Because an ox would need to be paired with an ox in order to harvest the grain. And if you paired an ox with a donkey, then the donkey would hold the ox back, meaning that they wouldn't be able to complete the task that was set before them. In the same way as Christians, we are to be careful, uh, cautious, and to be rigorous in our approach with what we are paired with or hitched with or yoked with. You've probably heard this passage related to marriage that a Christian should not marry a non-Christian or a believer shouldn't marry an unbeliever. And that's a good application of this passage because, you know, just think about it. If you have two differing worldviews that come together, it's a clash. And you have 
two different people who are trying to accomplish the same goal going about different ways to get there, vastly different ways to get there. It's a recipe for disaster. But if you actually read this passage in the context by which Paul writes of it, he doesn't even speak of marriage, although I do think this applies to marriage. I think that there's a much broader application for the church in that we must be careful with what we unite our lives to. Are we going to unite our lives to an unbelieving world with an unbelieving set of values and an unbelieving set of goals? That's the real message that Paul is trying to convey. And I want to tell you to it in the context of the church. Because Paul wasn't speaking about uh, not connecting ourselves to the outside world because that would be impossible. Even Jesus came into the world and was known as the friend of sinners because he dined with tax collectors and prostitutes and he showed them his grace and his mercy. But he didn't unite himself to the world's value system. He sought to redeem the value systems of the world to seek and save the lost. And in the same way, that's what we are called to. I think one of the great summaries of this is Jesus's prayer in John 17, 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You know, Jesus knows that we are living in the midst of a wicked world, of a world that's dying. But he also knows that we are his agents of reconciliation to bring life into dead places. But that we wouldn't be infected by the sinful nature of the rest of the world. That sin would not be our identity. Because your identity, church, is holy just as Christ is holy. So just as an ox should not be paired with a donkey, so a Christian should not be paired with an unbeliever. Now think about Corinth with me for a minute. Corinth was a city that was, uh, that was like Las Vegas on steroids. And the church of Corinth, called to be holy, would have had its challenges. And there would have been people in the church that lived unholy, unbelieving lies. Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians when some of the members of the church were visiting the temple prostitutes, the temple of Aphrodite, it's assumed to be. And there is this irreligious, this pagan ritual, sexual ritual that these people participated with joyfully and gladfully. And Paul calls the church to separate from among those people. And he calls those people who are walking in unbelief to repentance. And if they're unwilling to walk in repentance, then you, church, are not called to yoke yourself to them because you are holy. This is who he made us to be. And Paul asks this string of questions here uh, from verse 14 to 18. He says, what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord or harmony does Christ have with Belial? That's the word for Satan, the given name to Satan that Paul's referring to, which means worthlessness. What accord or what harmony does this Christ of immeasurable value have with that which is worthless? 
and demonic. And then he says, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What reward are you going to share with those who have no part in f- of faith in Christ? He says, what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? If you bring idols into the temple of God, it's sure destruction upon God's people. That was, the, that was what the church knew from the Old Testament history. Sam Storm says there's a principle that we have to understand here. He says to enter into no relationship or bond or partnership or endeavor that will compromise your Christian integrity or weaken your will for holiness or cast shadow on your reputation. Do you know when we unite ourselves with an unbelieving world and an unbelieving set of values, it leads to compromise that really overwhelms us and overtakes us and causes us not to be who we truly are made to be, not to live out our functional identity, which is holy in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 through 11 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually moral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Can can I be honest with the Christian struggle and say that that list involves some of us? That that list, whether it's our past, our present, or our future, that list involves some of us. But the reason why our identity is holy is because What Jesus has done is he's washed, he's sanctified, and he's justified in his his name and by the power of his Holy Spirit. So we're called to be a people who are the flesh and blood and the living breath of Jesus Christ. And that's why we see that holiness is our heritage When I think about heritage for me and my family, I think about something that has been handed down from a generation before me. And one of the things that has been handed down from the generation before me is that, you know, my family, we like to camp. And that liking to camp actually came two generations before me. My grandfather liked to camp and my father liked to camp and my mother and my family We would load up our dad's old Buick uh, filled with camping supplies and groceries, and we would drive from Lantana, Florida, four hours all the way up to the Ocala National Forest, and we would unpack everything. We would set up uh, our paradise. And uh, mom and dad didn't have a lot of money back then, but man, it felt like we were millionaires. And this camping has been a part of our heritage ever since. Actually, my dad... Uh, and mom for their honeymoon went camping. I tried that 
with my wife and asked if she wanted to go camping for our honeymoon. I thought she would be incredibly joyful about that, but she actually uh, threatened to break off the engagement. So it didn't go the way I had planned. But uh, good news is, is my wife is a camper as well. Her family uh, camps and, and they just they just kick it up a notch. Uh, my father-in-law, Larry, has an RV. Dad, thanks for the RV. Uh, we love to use it. And, um, and we have a good time uh, as we go camping with them. And one of the things I'm so thankful for with both of our family heritages coming together is that this is now a heritage that we are leaving with our children and our children love it and it's going to continue on beyond ourselves. Now that's a, that's a simple explanation of what a heritage is. But the heritage that God left for his church is one of holiness. You know, the, the church was not what started holiness. Holiness actually came well before the church and the people of God Israel. And you hear that, there, that, that there's a temple here. And, and the temple was the place of God's presence. It was the place of God's dwelling. It was that holy place. The specifications for this holy place were made to the exact detail. Everything in this holy place was meant for holy purposes. It could have been a common thing, but it was consecrated because it was not to be used for common things, only holy things. And in the same way that the temple is holy, so are we. Paul says it here, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I mean, this brings us back into Genesis, into the garden before the fall, where God is walking in the cool of the, of the day with Adam and Eve. And there's nothing that's hindering their relationship because God's perfect presence is there because there's an absence of sin. That's what Jesus Christ has done in making us the temple. Because God does not count our sin against us in Christ. But yet his dwelling is here in us. And it's not about a place that we are the church. We are the people of God. You are his holy temple. Regardless of whether you feel holy or not, it's your identity and it is your heritage. It is through the long the long blood-bought lineage of Jesus Christ. And that blood-bought lineage marks our lives and will last well beyond us until Christ comes back. Now listen, as it relates to holiness, God's people have always struggled with sin. And there's a good chance you do too because you're living and breathing like me. But there's something about us that continually strives for holiness. Seeing that we've harmed, we've defended, we've grieved a holy God by our actions. And that God is doing this redeeming and renewing work day by day. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, 
says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you, and I will be your father, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You know, we're living in this um, day of the COVID-19 crisis. What's the world going to look like later? I don't know. But one of the things that's really vivid is that this thing is dangerous and it's causing harm. And we're trying to do our part in flattening the curve, reducing the impact, saving lives, right? That's an important thing that's happening in our lives right now. And so when I go to the grocery, I, I wear a mask. And part of the reason why I wear that mask, well, the big reason is that I don't get COVID-19 because I don't want that to harm me nor those whom I love that I'm around on a day-to-day -day regular basis. And so when we bring the groceries in, we Lysol them off, we put them away. We're making sure that we're staying six feet away from those, socially distant, right? And that's so that this, this COVID-19 virus doesn't infect us. Think about it as it relates to sin. We have to set, separate ourselves from sin so that sin does not infect us, so that it does not overtake us. Because sin is abnormal to the Christian. Sin is something that is not a part of our lives in Christ Jesus. And so striving for holiness means that we seek to walk in our heritage to where we see sin as something that brings immeasurable harm. Oh, church, if we would see, like we see the damage of the COVID-19 virus, if we would see the damage and danger of sin, it would change our lives. And we would be the most joyfully holy people in all the planet. And I pray that this illustration of harm through COVID-19 would be a greater illustration of harm through sin and cause us to strive for holiness with the saints of old. And this is what God is calling us to. Peter says in 1 uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says this, but you are a chosen race, just like Israel, just like the people of God in the Old Testament. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, we're holy because God has made us holy and our heritage points us not to David or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, but our heritage points us to God, our heavenly father. When the prodigal son spent all of the inheritance of the father and found himself in the pigsty, he knew he would take that long, shameful road home, but that was the only way out of a situation. And what was it? It was the road back to the Father. And when we struggle with sin, we remember our heritage and that we remember our Father welcomes us and receives us with a glad and generous heart. And that even in our worst, He puts the robe of righteousness on us. He gives us the ring of our family heritage 
And he doesn't send us out into the back with the servants, but he brings us into the house as sons and daughters. This is the believer. If you are an unbeliever, you have no such heritage until you have faith in Jesus. There is no welcoming of you. But let that be a call to belief. Faith in the one who washes you clean and gives you an identity and a heritage of holiness. We see that holiness, number three, is God's promise for the church. Paul says in uh, the first verse of chapter 7, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord, He says, since we have these promises, like we're already possessing these promises, all of the promises of the Bible, we are able to say mine, mine, mine. And why are we able to say that? Because they all come to us fully and finally in the cross of Christ. Since you have these promises in Christ, they are yours. He says, live in this way. It's not that we gain holiness by trying to be holy. Actually, Charles Spurgeon says, holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Holiness starts with him. That's why I'm so thankful for the word of God. It's not just a rule book. It's not a map or a road that tells us where to go. It's not a self-help book giving us a pep talk or encouragement. It's not a book of therapy that just comforts us when we're down. Although God uses it for a various, uh, many things, God's book, His Word, changes us. It renews us from the inside out. Because holiness isn't about your actions. Holiness is about your need to be cleansed from the inside out. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And our promises find their yes and amen in Jesus because Jesus goes for our hearts. He says cleanse every defilement. There's an application here. Cleanse every defilement. When I think about cleansing every defilement, I think about what goes in and that we have to be very careful about what goes into our lives, into our mind, into our heart and out in our behavior. And so to cleanse ourselves from every defilement, it doesn't mean that we take a shower. It means that we cut ourselves off from the things that are going to steal. Matt Chandler says about sanctification, which is just a growth in holiness. He says you need to ask yourself two questions. He says, uh, what stirs my affections for Christ and what robs my affections from Christ? What stirs my affections for Christ and what robs my affections from Christ? And when you think about defilement, you got to think about, we've got to remove the things that rob our affections from Christ. Let me give you one example. In quarantine, pornography usage is way, way up, through the roof up. There's a a scholar, Psychology Today, wrote an article on it. And he said, porn searches are up in part because a lot of people are at home with more time on their hands than usual. However, they feel that they all, 
However, they may also be up because some people are using sex as a coping mechanism to deal with their fear of disease and death. So you realize that you have a problem and you see uh, the fearful thing uh, of the world around you. And we know that's a problem, but yet if our response is to go to an unholy thing to deal with that problem, then it just leads to more harm and more destruction and more defilement. Because God has made you for holy purposes. Don't unite yourself with your eyes, with your mind, with your body, with an unholy thing. Because God has created you for something far greater than that. What robs our affections from Christ? There are many things that can apply to our lives, and there's a good chance that you know them. Those are the things the Holy Spirit is bringing about conviction in your soul and in your heart. And that should lead to confession and repentance for you seeking the help you need, both from God and God's people, the church, that you would walk in holiness and you would cleanse yourself of every defilement. The second question Matt Chandler asks is what stirs our affections for Christ? This is where we bring holiness to completion because we pursue after the things that stoke the fire of our faith and give us a fuel and a passion for the Lord. You know, these things could be as simple as going for a hike. That stirs my affections for Christ. Believe it or not, for me, I'm kind of weird like this, but I like to walk through the graveyard and ponder the resurrection. I like to play in the, in the pool with my kids. That stirs my affections for Jesus. Going on a date night with my wife, having a good meal together, that stirs my affections for Christ. Having game night with good friends, that stirs my affections for Christ. And as we seek to have our affections stirred, I, I want to mention something that's really obvious, but neglected, severely neglected, is that unless we are seeking our affections to be stirred by God's word and a bended knee in prayer, then those affections won't be stirred the way God fully intended. Your growth in holiness will severely be stunted because you are not seeking him through his word and prayer. There's so many resources that God has given you where you can not only read the Bible, you could listen to the Bible, you could have the word read over you, prayed over you, sung over you. All these resources can stir your affections for God. You know, I think of so many passages that God has used to ground me, to cause my faith to be firm through his word. And I also think about the passages that have caused me to fall on my knees in desperate dependence upon him in prayer. God brings these things, whether it's time in the word daily or a hike or walking through the graveyard or playing in the pool or enjoying him in some way that stirs your affections. God is using these things to bring your holiness to completion. And these are lifelong Lifelong, we are going to have to cleanse ourselves from every defilement and we are going to have to bring our holiness to completion. And good news is, this is not about what you do. 
This is about, number one, what Christ has done. Number two, you have the power of the Holy Spirit right now. It's not willpower. It's worship. It's not, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to check it twice. I'm going to make sure that I'm following this. No, it's about worship. It's about being captivated as Isaiah was with the holiness of God and seeing the suffering servant dying on the cross for your sins and living a life that says, I want to honor Jesus in everything I say, in everything I do. If you aren't living a life of holiness, you aren't living a life of worship. And willpower isn't the anecdote. Worship is. And so maybe that's where you start right now. God, help me. Lead me to your throne. Lead me to your cross. So that I would follow hard after you. I would live this life of holiness and purity that you desire for me. May that be your prayer. As you know, the holy God that made all the heavens and the earth, that the seraphim are encircling his throne and singing that song again, is the holy God on the cross who gave his life for you. And now we strive for holiness together as the community of blood-bought people, as his holy church that he's promised a holy future in heaven for and this is my prayer for us. Join me as, as we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us holiness as our identity. That it is who we are. That, God, there's a long line of people before us that have walked this road of holiness. And you, God, have caused them to finish the race, to run it well. And we look, God, to you, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, to help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because, God, we know it is you who works to will and to work for your good pleasure. And at the end of the day, Lord, we don't live for the applause of man. We don't live for the approval of people. We live for that day when we go before you and you say, well done, my good and faithful servant, well done. And every part of that, God, is what we treasure. And we ask for your help as we live this life that you've called us to live as a holy people. In Jesus' name, amen.